It depends upon what the meaning of the word is. Yeah. Seems like perhaps this episode will be at the will of the internet and at the will of technology, but we'll see how it goes. So, did I drop one? I did not. Here we go. Uh, this is episode number... K. Wow, there was a big pause on that. Uh, good. <laughs> Look, really built the tension. Episode K. And uh, our listeners, our devoted fans will not know this, but we've been off for a week. We always have an episode in the can, though, so they wouldn't have noticed. But welcome back. Welcome back, Peter. Welcome back, Ed. I'm Ed. Ed. I'm Peter. And this is Ed and Peter. And this week is the letter K. I have the magic cup of words going into the shuffle. Peter's going to say when, and I shall pull out a word. Do it. Do it now. Do it. Do it now. The word is Kellogg's. Now, Kellogg's is not exactly a word, but more of a name, a brand. What do you know of Kellogg's, Peter? Uh, I believe that the Kellogg brothers mm. were doctors this and is... became involved in some sort of early dieting trend. This is this is quite true. This is quite true. So the Kellogg brothers, um, one of them was a doctor. I don't believe they were both doctors. One of them was a doctor and he ran an asylum. He ran a mental institution. So the Kellogg brand actually began as a mental institution. And part of part of his treatment, part of what he believed that people needed to be treated, was that he he did run a very strict dietary regimen. He took out all meat and alcohol and fats, and he ran a very very strict. Uh, I believe it was Seventh Day Adventist, very strict Seventh Day Adventist menstrual institution, and that's where the Kellogg's brand started off. And became popular how? Um, again, this is a story that I learned a long time ago, so I'm reciting some very secondhand knowledge, but. Um, from what I understand, one of the uh, Kellogg brothers was in charge and he recruited the other brother because they had very, very wealthy clients. It was a very successful business and he, he brought this other brother in to create a, a food regimen for their clients. And the brother was working with uh, cornbread dough that he left out overnight. And when he returned in the morning, it had molded or it had dried or something. Maybe it had dried over and crusted. And he thought, you know what, bugger it, I don't care enough. I'm still going to put this through the extruder. And so he put it through the extruder and cornflakes came out. And he said, now this is this is a thing. Here's, here's what we got. Cornflakes are pretty good. Yeah, cornflakes are pretty good. I am, I am a fan of cornflakes, although I don't believe they had sugar on them at that stage. And the sugar is a large part of what, what makes cornflakes appealing. Is there sugar in a cornflake? There's definitely sugar on a cornflake. A cornflake is, is a, fr a frosted flake is a cornflake with sugar on it. I'm I'm fairly certain fairly certain that a cornflake is quite sugary. In fact, I believe that that was one of the um one of the divisive parts between the brothers is that one of them said we have to put sugar on them and the other one said we're absolutely not putting sugar on them and so they they went their separate ways. Also, I believe and this is this is also secondhand knowledge, but I do remember this story a little bit. I believe that Mr. Post, who went on to invent Post Cereal, which is the Kellogg's competition, was a patient at the asylum, and he was one of the first people to eat these cornflakes, and then he nicked them. He nicked the concept. Really? So, it's interesting uh, that you bring up extrusion, because um, I'm thinking about all these cereals, right? I mean, Kellogg's brands, right? So, uh, yeah, sure, we start with cornflakes, but there's Kellogg's Rice Krispies. Right, which is a another grain also extruded. Mm -hmm. um, 
So, like, is this a single process invented for one cereal and cross-applied, or did they purchase several industrial processes? How did this come to be? You know what? I, I am not the food guy. You're the food history guy. To begin with, can you just... Because when I think of extrusion, all I think about is, you know, those two rollers, and you're just sort of rolling it through, like like a pasta roller. That's what I imagine extrusion to look like. Can you just define that, extrusion a little bit better for us? That's, I think you just did a great job. I mean, you could you could do it with Play-Doh. I mean, squeezing <laughs> a thing between two things is extruding something. Did you, did you um, ever eat Play-Doh when you were a kid? Did I eat it? Yeah. No, it doesn't taste good. No, I think they, they think they deliberately put a bad taste onto it so that kids won't eat it. Well, it's primarily made of salt, right? I mean, so, I mean, I guess if you like really salty things, maybe it's okay. Is it made of salt or is it salted so that kids won't want to eat it? Wait, wait, Salt's an important component in it structurally as well. To stop it from rotting? Well, yeah, and, and to work the way it's supposed to work. But back to extrusion. Yeah, guys. This is really interesting because this is really interesting. A lot of a lot of snacks that we have are, are extruded. Uh, for example, uh, corn pops uh, were an example, like an, an accidental invention. I have no idea what a corn pop is. Tell me what a corn pop is. Those, they're like uh, well, I guess cheesies, right? Like the you know cheesets. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, okay, sure. Those types of things, but you know, without the cheese coating. You know, the internal structure is just, it's corn, right? Much like a corn flake. But in the process of, of being extruded, what happened was, like, because mechanical components heat up, obviously, when, when things get rubbed together, what happened is, in the process of extruding this moist corn, um, the heat from the mechanical process involved ended up basically exploding the corn and then producing this delicious snack. But the whole thing was, you know, produced accidentally. It's wonderful um, how many things come accidentally, isn't it? It seems like some of the best inventions have come accidentally. But a lot, a lot of crunching snacks seem to come by, you know, invented accidentally. And it really seems like corn is the universal hero here. Corn is the guy who's popping up in every story, which is funny because nowadays, you know, we're always told that corn is barely used for eating anymore. I remember reading, uh, was it reading? No, I watched this film. I watched this film called The Informant with Matt Damon. And it was about this guy who worked for a corn resource company, like an ethanol company. And they, they had sort of this inf- infographic within it. And they were like, you know, only uh, 1% or less of corn grown in America is actually eaten as corn. It's either turned into ethanol or it's turned into animal stock feed or it's turned into high fructose corn syrup. Like corn is not actually eaten as corn. Yeah, it's used as, as an ingredient in all sorts of things, chemical and otherwise. Yeah, but then, you know, you think about corn, and you think about eating corn on the cob, apparently that's only a really, 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 really small... And somebody, like, you know, people have really put their time into corn. People have really put their research into corn. There's this guy, his name was um, Henry Wallace. If you look up Henry Wallace, he's a really interesting guy, because he's a guy who, according to some people at the time, really should have been president. He was the guy who um, was the best candidate for president, but then... The money men sort of rallied around Harry Truman and made him the candidate, and they really pushed for Truman. This guy, Henry Wallace, he was basically a corn scientist, and he's one of the people who's credited as saving corn within the United States. Because back in those days, uh, let's say 1910s, 1920s, they started to uh, proliferate these theories that if you take the best-looking ears of corn, if you take the best physical specimens, and you isolate those and you just grow those, those are going to be the best ones. And he was the guy who came out and really argued, no, 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 it has nothing to do with that. I can prove it. I can grow perfect corn, perfect production corn that is the most inferior in your eyes. Like, they would have these corn judging contests, you know, like, 
Like, uh, they would put out their fanciest looking... Like a beauty contest for corn. Like a beauty contest for corn. And he was the first guy who was like, look, if you put your stock into beautiful corn, you're going to wipe out corn. You need to you need to do it the exact opposite. So he actually challenged them. And he said, I'll take the worst looking ones and produce better crops than you do. And did he win? Oh, he absolutely won. He absolutely won. And then he wrote all these books about environmental science. And he, he, was, uh, he was due to be the president, but then he was too into the occult. And people didn't like that about him. You know, they wanted a they wanted a solid conservative Christian guy, but he was a guy who said, you know, maybe Islam has things to it. Maybe look at Buddhism. Maybe read the Bhagavad Gita. You know, he was he was too liberal. And he was for really into corn. And he was really into corn. Henry Wallace, interesting guy. That, that's that is really interesting. I mean, while we're on the topic of corn, um, this and, and and physical structures and things like that, and and maybe even the the metaphysical. Um, if you take a, a cob of corn, you know, turn it on its side and look at it, I guess like you're about to bite it and eat it, um, and you look at the structure of those kernels, especially on, on an imperfect cob, you know, one that, that Andrew would have liked. Um, Henry, but all right. <laughs> Henry, right. <laughs> uh, the, the, the structure is really interesting because it looks an awful lot like the structure of fieldstone walls. And if you think about the physics involved in holding a field stone wall together, that's kind of crazy. It's not, you know, it's not as symmetrical as a course of bricks, for example. Um, and there is some evidence to suggest that Mesoamerican architecture uh, was developed through inspiration from looking at natural structures, like like a cob of corn. Wow! Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. Yeah, so like super strong walls and stuff in, in Incan and Mayan architecture or whatever are, are sort of biomimicking the, the structure of, of corn kernels. That's awesome. All right, so going back to, because we, we have to have our root word in at least, at least twice, going back to Kellogg's. Yes. Just for a moment. Are you a cereal fan? Are you a cereal eater? I was when I was a kid. Okay, and then um, what happened? You grew out of it? I don't know. I guess I grew out of it. I, I can't imagine just, you know, eating a bowl of cereal with milk anymore. But did, that was probably my favorite snack as a child. Did you not mature into, you know, like, you had a child cereal, you had a Captain Crunch, or you had a Fruity Pebbles, or a, a you know, Cocoa Pops or something. Did you not then mature into an adult cereal? Did you not then become a, a no, moose? It, it went the other way around, because we weren't allowed to have fun food in my house as a kid. Right? <laughs> you know, there, were, there were no Fruity Pebbles, there were no Cocoa Pops, you know. I had, you know, sensible cereals like Shreddies and granola and cheerios and and whatnot um when i was a teenager and and started smoking a lot of weed i started eating boxes of cinnamon toast crunch uh you know just as a snack those were fantastic uh so i kind of went the other way around I, I went toward sugary cereals and then i'm just like well who needs this i'm just gonna eat real food i feel like they know as well i think they know that there's a there's a demographic that gets to sort of 16 17 start smoking pot and then they can really target that demographic as well they're totally going after it on purpose now the major <laughs> cereal manufacturers in north america are teasing the launch of large format cereals so like imagine opening a bag of shreddies and the shreddy is the size of like a trisket i don't know how big a trisket is uh, and I, I don't know how big a shreddy is. You've given me two things that are uh, not relative to each other at all. <laughs> okay, imagine a piece of cereal being the size of a cracker. Okay, yeah. Okay, that makes sense. Right. So that's they're trying to they're trying to big size cereals now because they know that people are just snacking on them dry. 
Right, so they're going to put them into, like, uh, candy bar packaging, and you're going to be able to buy, like, a bar of cereal. Yeah. Oh, that's actually or a bag of, Or, like, you know, instead of a bag of tortilla chips, a bag of large-format cornflakes. <laughs> imagine, imagine opening a bag of Doritos, and there's just three <laughs> massive hand-sized Doritos inside. <laughs> yeah, that's, 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 that's genius-level marketing right there. Yeah. <laughs> I, I can see it working um, as well. Going back to cereal selections, though, uh, I, I wasn't upset about having these really practical cereals. I liked Weetabix when I was a kid, and I liked grape nuts and, and you know, very unkid-like cereals. And one of my favorite memories is being at my grandparents' house for weekends or whatever, and they had a nice sort of breakfast nook, and behind the, the bench in the breakfast nook was a cupboard, and it was filled with cereal, every cereal you could possibly ever imagine. Um, and most of them were kind of healthy. There might have been one or two little sugary ones in there. But the rule was, in my extended family, for some reason, that you couldn't just have one type of cereal in your cereal bowl. You had to select at least two. And then... Was, this an, enforced, was this an enforced rule, or was this just a, an idiot? Yeah, like, Grandma would kind of, like, hover and make sure, right? So you'd start with a base <laughs> of, like, Special K, and then add, you know, a fistful of grape nuts, and then maybe a fistful of Cheerios. And then she'd be there to ensure that you chose at least one type of fruit to go on top, so mm. typically bananas, and then something else, like strawberries or peaches or whatever, and then brown sugar, and then milk, and then it made cereal eating feel like an adventure. Right, it's a very grandmother thing. My grandmother used to pour rum over my ice cream. That was that was my grandmother thing. <laughs> that sounds better to me. Yeah, I mean, it's the kind of grandmothering that probably wouldn't fly in the 2020s, but it was fantastic at the time. Um, rum with cereal? You tried it? See, I don't uh, drink milk because uh, I don't eat dairy. So milk has been out of my life since I was very, very young. I think it's probably about four, whoa, six or seven. I probably stopped drinking milk. So no, cereal was never a, a thing. And I remember if I had to go on like a camp, if I had to go on a school camp or a church camp or something, that I, you know, you'd sort of be forced to eat cereal because it's the only option. And I'd always be eating the cereal dry, which to me was yeah. better. But then people would always be like, that's odd. I'd be like, well, that's fine. It's I understand that. It's a normal snack. It should be. It should be. But at the time, you know, circa, <laughs> circa the year 1999, people were very judgmental about it. Right, right. So that's what I had to deal with. That was my that was my serial prejudice back when I was a kid. <laughs> and uh, how do you how do you feel that changed you? I feel it turned me into a really really embittered man. And every time I see somebody eating cereal with milk, I want to tip the bowl over just to make a mess for them and say, you know what? It wouldn't be such a mess if there was no milk. It would be a dry cleanup. Just pop the vacuum out. See what mess you've made now. You did that. Well, I'm glad that you haven't held on to any <laughs> So, yeah, there it is. Uh, any last thoughts on Kellogg's or the letter K uh, in general? No, I think I think we've I think we've done our worst with this. We've one. we've we've never done this before, but just so people are in case people are curious, I'm going to read out the other K words that we had available. We had Kansas, we had kleptocracy, we had kamikaze, kangaroos, karaoke uh karate and kinsey and i was quite keen on doing kinsey but that one's gonna have to go by the wayside thanks to the hand of of chance but we are going to run out of letters in the alphabet at some point yes we'll come back to the, we'll do k k k letter two k episode two and we'll do kinsey
K2, Kinsey. K2, exactly. All right, uh, that's all from me. Peter, do you want to plug the site? Do you want to plug the merch? You can always visit us online at podpage.com slash ed-peter. And uh, you can find all of our previous episodes there. You can find links to our merch, uh, which is many and varied. Uh, you can also leave us a voicemail by clicking the handy link on the right-hand side of the page. And do, because the voicemails are not coming in as fast as people would like them to. That makes me sad. <laughs> all right, I'm Ed. I'm Peter. That's Thanks for listening. Good. Thank you.